0: Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Needs Some Introduction. In today's episode, I will be discussing the fifth episode of the second season of Your Honor, simply called Part 15. After my breakdown of the episode, I'll be bringing in Sona into the conversation, getting her feedback for the revelations in this very eventful episode. Lots of plot, lots of revelations, especially at the very end of this particular episode, something that I've foreseen for quite some time, and I'm very curious to see how it's going to play out now that we are halfway through this second and final season of this show. Just a quick programming note before we get to that. Anybody who's also listening to our coverage of The Last of Us, that episode will actually be premiering on Friday night, tonight, if you're catching this early. HBO is conveniently going to make this available early, given the fact that, of course, Sunday is the Super Bowl, and most people will not be watching this at 9 o'clock on Sunday night. Given that, Our recap of that episode will be coming out early, so these two episodes will be pretty close together. Sorry if you're getting spammed in your notifications, but we'll go back to our regular production schedule starting next week. I do actually hope that HBO continues to make their episodes available a little bit earlier in the weekend. It's much more convenient, but I have a feeling that there is still something about that Sunday night real estate for HBO, which legitimately is a brand for them. So I expect things to go back to the previous norm starting again next week. If you'd like to support the show, give us a shout out on your social media. Recommend us to friend and family, maybe during the Super Bowl party. If someone asks you, hey, what's a podcast you'd recommend? Maybe you bring us up or give us a star rating on your pod catcher of choice. So let's get into this episode, part 15.
1: I am part of a federal investigation into the Baxter organization.
0: That's why they let you out of prison? Yes.
1: And you just let me in on this now? I was trying to protect you.
0: From the feds who could prosecute me or the mobster who could kill me? Both. Things open in the immediate aftermath of Jimmy's 50th birthday party last week. Michael, played by Brian Cranston, is heading home. He sees his phone with many notifications from Olivia. He frustratedly throws the phone into a puddle of water, and that's how we start the episode. Meanwhile, Big Mo is talking to Eugene, Eugene having shown up at her doorstep just last episode to bring her the cash that Little Mo had actually worried had been lost. She now, of course, knows everything that happened last season. He didn't miraculously escape, as she puts it. This was all set up by Lil Mo to protect Eugene. We find out later in the episode that he explains himself to her, stating that he had not been able to protect Eugene's brother, but he felt like he still owed it to him to protect Eugene. This is an interesting turn of events. Big Mo theoretically could just get rid of Eugene. He's just a hanging thread, a loose end that she needs to yet one more thing that she needs to worry about at this moment. And she's got many things to worry about. But she has to be weighing out the fact that he endangered his own life to bring her this cash. He could have disappeared with the money. He had already disappeared. She quickly pieces together that he is living with her sister. And now what to do about this situation? Next, we see a pretty hilarious sequence in which Gina Baxter, still the night, this is still the night of the birthday party, as if she's preparing for surgery, putting on her chef smock, to make cannolis. This is a tradition, a family tradition, cannolis every year. And she angrily, angrily prepares the pastries. Jimmy and Carlo enter the kitchen as if awaiting their execution. (laughs) But it's just to eat the pastry, just to eat their cannoli. She loves her traditions. And this is one more tradition. And it's all screwed up. Not only has her husband disappointed her in offering up the position of godfather to Rocco, to the mayor, but Sophia is not there. Once again, she's usually part of this celebration, but not there this year. She angrily instructs them to eat their cannolis. And Jimmy Baxter, played by Michael Stuhlbarg, does some serious face acting here. Sona loves his face acting. Biting into the cannoli as if it is rancid. The next morning, as Michael is preparing his coffee, Olivia comes knocking at the back door. We know the Baxters are checking out his house. Wouldn't they be suspicious of her car being always there? Wouldn't they see her at the back door? Maybe she has her own men clearing the way for her to make sure she they're not being spied on. But it does seem a little flagrant that she is rolling up on him every single morning. She's mad because she needs the lowdown. What happened the night before? Why did you take out that bug? And he fills her in. I would have been dead if they had found that bug, by the way. And she gets a new piece of information here. Carmine Conti is back in the United States. She seems a little disappointed. If the Baxters had murdered Michael the night before, she could have arrested all of them. Meanwhile... The Baxter household. Their breakfast is even more tense than usual now that Carmine is around. Jimmy looks like he's hungover. Maybe there was something else in that cannoli. He sits all the way at the other end of the table, and they're discussing the waterfront deal. Gina and Carmine don't think that Jimmy's doing enough to get the waterfront deal resolved. He says he's handling it, and she questions that. She, of course, just wants to kill the mayor. There's no blowback when you murder a famous politician, in her eyes, anyway. That's what my daddy would have done, would have just killed them as soon as he said no. Jimmy makes the argument that he is trying to take a subtler tact and mentions that he has successfully run the business for quite some time. And Carmine questions as to whether he's been that successful or if he's just been coasting off the Conti name. Everyone's having a bad morning and his chief of staff, or this his right-hand man, asks him about the night before and just reminds him that this is not a good look for him. He has not really delivered that much since he's been elected. And now here he is in a picture with Jimmy Baxter. A very eventful morning here on the show, Detective Nancy Costello shows up at work and is informed that they've picked somebody up, stealing another car, and he has quite an interesting story. Maybe it's all made up, but she might want to hear it. And what exactly is that story? Something I've been suspecting for quite some time, and we'll have to see how it all plays out. But we don't find that out until the very end of the episode. As the day proceeds, Michael tries to quit his butchering job, And in stating that, he doesn't even think he has two weeks left to even give a two weeks notice. It sounds, once again, pretty fatalistic. Even that baby has not turned around Michael's death wish. Charlie has decided to not give in on the waterfront deal, especially after the shenanigans of the night before, and has brought in new investors who are afraid to take the offer to develop the waterfront. Charlie says, you're not going to make a bid. We're giving this to you, and this is going to be a public-private partnership, and that he'll take care of all the red tape. These investors seem pretty worried considering who they know should be currently developing that land. Big Mo seems to have closed the deal on the club. Hopefully that club owner is okay and Gina hasn't whacked him for not selling to her. She has a keys to the place and is showing it off to her girlfriend. This is a pretty happy moment, but it's not going to last long. Back at the Baxter household, turns out Gina's not only creepy with her son, she's also creepy with her dad. She basically suggests that she should whack her own husband because he's not performing the way she expects. Despite the fact that Carmine was critical of Jimmy earlier, he does take his side to some extent here, reminding her that the reason you're with him is because he's not like me, he's like your mom. And that's probably a good balance. Marriages are complicated. Gina says, I just wish he was more like you, daddy. Once again, there are some creepy vibes here. Turns out Michael did not leave the butchery. As a favor, he's hanging in there. The owner of the shop is shorthanded. And he gets visits from multiple Baxters today. First, Sophia comes by. He tells her that he can't see her anymore. Once again, I had a feeling originally that this would be a way to pivot away from this, this suicidal drive at this point. But he seems to want to cut ties with Sophia and that baby, of course, simultaneously. By the way, baby Carlo has the same skill at face acting <laughs> with these shocked, frozen expressions that directly reminds us of Michael Stuhlbard's performance here in this show something that Sona called out before. So this baby's been taking acting lessons from grandpa, it looks like. Things go from bad to worse when Jimmy comes and visits and threatens that Charlie is in trouble if Michael can't get Charlie to agree to letting the waterfront deal go back to the Baxters. And basically mentions the fact that he's the rational one. If he doesn't get things done in a more political way, there are other ways to get this deal done and Carmine and Gina won't negotiate at all. Sophia and Carlo meet at her hotel room. And this is actually a pretty sweet, strangely, (laughs) scene between these siblings where they fantasize about killing off their family, being free of the expectations of this family. Despite all of this, Carlo reminds her that he really is like the rest of the family, but she is not. She can get out of this. For better or worse, his fate is tied to this family. Uh, Monique is still trying to figure out what to do with little Mo. And as she's talking it out, she gets the news that their friend from Houston, the heroin dealer, is snooping around and she goes to have a conversation with him. He says, you have to give me my money. She says, I don't have that money and threatens his life. He says, sure, you can kill me, but then you got to deal with my cartel friends and they are way less reasonable than I am. She says, well, here's how it's going to work. You have to give me the drugs. I will sell them and then the cash will start flowing. And he goes, so I have to front you the drugs and what do I get out of this? He does charge her a vig, and that's where they leave things. But of course, it puts her once again in a difficult situation. I'm surprised she doesn't have any of the cash flow. By the way, it can't be that the only drug they're selling is heroin. Don't they have other protection money, running numbers, selling marijuana and other drugs that are generating the cash flow to at least pay for part of this deal? But maybe she's sunk in everything, truly everything, into this club. Monique seems to be seriously contemplating killing Lil Mo. She's disappointed with some of the th- decisions he's made, but he explains himself to her. He felt like he owed something to Kofi and was protecting Eugene. Janelle, Monique's girlfriend, walks in, in the middle of this and is upset and storms off. She talks her down but says, you know who I am. But Janelle says, regardless, he's your family. This may soften Monique a little bit here. Then we have this great sequence where... Michael goes to visit Charlie. Isaiah Whitlock's Jr.'s face here is fantastic. <laughs> I love the energy this actor always brings to his performances, but especially here where this show has been so stoic, especially this season where it's been so much in this somber tone. And as Michael lays it all out on the line, when this happened to Adam, I told them everything. I told them about you. I told them about the stolen car. His reaction is incredible. He's just how we all feel watching this show, being like, "What? <laughs> what have you done to me?" I told her
1: that you got rid of the car. What?
0: God damn it, Michael! What? Are you kidding me? I, I was.
1: I was in shock. I wasn't thinking clearly. I'm I'm sorry. To hell with your apology. This keeps happening. You ask me to disappear, Carr,
0: I'm covering up a killing. You invite me to a party, I'm mixed up with mobsters who could murder me. My greatest liability in life is you! I'm trying to help. You're the last person whose help I'd ever want but this is a warning. They're coming for Charlie. Charlie says he doesn't want to be, he won't be intimidated, but this is more than just bullying. This could be murder. At this moment, it seems like there's no coming back for this relationship between Charlie and Michael, but we're only halfway through the season. So I have a feeling they will still cross paths yet again. There's another great sequence here where the Baxters all have dinner together, always at this hotel. This is probably the one set where 80% of these actors spent their time which I guess is efficient for standpoint of production. Sophia and her mom are going back and forth. She still does not want to get Rocco baptized. And here's where Jimmy wins her back. I was trying to bring the mayor into our world. Well, you failed.
1: And you corrupted the spirit of the baptism. There isn't gonna be a baptism. Then you have condemned your child to hell for all eternity. Save us a seat when you get there.
0: Okay, that is enough. Your mother's faith is what keeps this family whole. When I have failed, when I have faltered, she has held us together. You are both adults, but you are our children, always. We have your best interests at heart, just like you, Fia. Have little Roccos.
1: there are things we must do for ourselves, and there are things we must do for our family. We want our grandson
0: Baptized,
1: And I want Carlo to be Godfather.
0: Good. And Sophia goes along with it, even says that she has asked Carlo to be the Godfather. This puts a smile on everybody's face. And you know, especially Gina is extremely happy with how this has gone. Just plotting his death <laughs> just a few scenes ago, she's made a 180 degree turn By this point in the episode as we get to the night of this long long day on the show monique has made her final decision she's going to let lil mo live but blood in blood out he gets beat up on the way into the gang he gets beat up on the way out meanwhile eugene will live thank you very much you did the right thing bringing me that money i'm not going to penalize you for it but you are going to disappear again and you are never coming back and he says he won't although i have a feeling eugene is not done from this show yet charlie and jimmy baxter meet in his office. Charlie now in one half measure says, I will give you the same deal that I gave the other contractors that were in my office earlier today. You will rent the land, not own it, but you'll rent it from the city. You will use the contractors we want you to use. You will enrich the community while developing this new location. And you will build more than just stores. You will build an additional school. You will build a community center, a library, Jimmy makes a joke that that sounds like you're asking Santa Claus for presents at Christmas, but they shake hands. So Jimmy, at least initially, is signing on to this. I doubt he plans to comply with all these requirements, but I'm sure once he has the paperwork in hand, the details of that deal will start changing. When Jimmy gets home, Gina's got a surprise for him, affection and more. It seems like he has been the kind of husband she wants today, and he's going to get rewarded for it. We end the episode with another morning. Once again, Gloria's knocking at the back door. I forgot to mention this earlier, but as soon as the deal with the Baxters is done, Gloria has actually spoken to Charlie. Looks like she has brought even more conspirators into her plot. And part of the setup is having Charlie work with the Baxters on this deal. She informs Michael that everything went smoothly the night before, to which he says, good, I'm done. I'm not doing any of these things anymore. I'm out. I'm finished. To which... Olivia says, sure, no problem. She sends a text message, the front doorbell rings, and it's Detective Costello. Olivia and Nancy had met earlier in the episode, and she had teased, once again, this new information that she had. And Olivia says, good, this will be the motivation we're looking for to keep him under our thumbs. Detective Costello arrests Michael, takes him down to the precinct, puts him in an interrogation room, and then asks him, where were you on the night? of your wife's murder. That's right, everybody. What I had told Sona that I had speculated in episode one, season one, check our recap episode for that conversation. I was always suspicious of Michael. He had thought about, well, how do you cover your tracks? How do you create an alibi after the fact? All these things he had told Adam to do when he had gotten himself into that situation in season one. I'm like, man, this guy really knows how to do this. Yes, he's a judge. He's seen a lot of criminals but he does have this wife who mysteriously died. Hmm, could he possibly be a suspect here? And here we go. All the chickens in the show are coming home to roost. I thought they had just dropped this plot line in season two. They've ignored it up until this point. But here we go. Here it is. And this could be a red herring, but I'm really suspicious that it is not going to be a red herring. And I think he was indeed involved in the murder of his wife, who was having an affair on him at the time. This would put Michael in a really, really negative light, by the way. So maybe they'll try to give him some plausible deniability for a period of time, but I can't imagine this does not turn out to be the fact. It's just something I've been suspicious of for so long, so we will have to wait and see how it all plays out. But very interesting, and still with half a season to go, the stakes of this have all escalated. And this show, by the way, in general, which has been not plot twist and cliffhanger heavy, really in this particular midpoint of the season, in this one day specifically, an explicit day, in the show, a little more than 24 hours actually, has created all of these new stakes that really set things up for what's probably going to be a much, much more tense back half of the season. And I'm looking forward to it. I did enjoy this. It's done a really good job this show, uh, this season of setting up more emotional stakes and developing these characters. And now, yeah, let's get to the thriller aspect of the show. And this is the first maybe big cliffhanger we have between episodes. But I think this is going to pick up pace as it goes to its resolution. And with just five episodes to go, I'm very curious to see how it all turns out. In the upcoming scenes, we get actually a featurette that previews the back half of the season without anything really explicitly being defined, which I appreciate. To my comments earlier, it really does feel like we are splitting the season into two halves where the second half is really a different show. And there are very, very high stakes for everybody. You can imagine... That there is this antagonism between Monique and this heroin dealer, and how is that going to play out? Is that deal going to hold, or will they fall even further behind, and then what would be the consequences there? Can she try to pivot into a more legitimate world, and will Gina allow it? Gina must be very, very unhappy that she now owns that club. The internal strife within the Baxter family. Gina could easily go on a warpath and take everybody down with her. She's fixated on even small things like Monique moving across the street, but with her dad around, is she going to be thinking that her dad can run this business and maybe Jimmy is not as valuable to her? And then once again, what is Olivia's plan? We see how she's now bringing in Charlie. She wanted this deal to go through, which theoretically benefits the Baxters, but somehow this is going to burn them. Olivia has a broader plan that we still don't fully understand. And of course, what's going to happen to Michael? Did Michael kill his wife? Something that I've been suspicious of for a very long time. And if not, who's setting him up? Who's been working against him this whole entire time to make him look like this suspect? This random guy who was arrested, stealing cars. Why would he implicate Michael in his wife's death? And who does that benefit also? All things that will be discovered in the next five episodes. And I got to tell you, I'm pretty interested in finding out. And now I'll ask some of these same questions to Sona and we'll get her opinion of this current episode. All right, Sona. So I already did the breakdown of the episode and I have many questions for you. Actually, first of all, let's talk about a show you caught up on. Sure. We probably can have like a mid-season conversation or maybe late season. I've just watched another episode of this show just premiered last night It is shrinking on Apple TV. I'm very much enjoying it. It's from some of the creators of Ted Lasso. It has that Ted Lasso uplift to it. You know, it's a little messy, a little soapy, heart on its sleeve and heart in the right place type show. I am enjoying it so far. And I think you really like it so far as well, correct?
1: I love this show. Um, Oh, good. I'm so glad. As we kind of discussed briefly, I never watched Ted Lasso. I don't have that perspective to say like oh it's like Ted Lasso or it feels like Ted Lasso which maybe is a benefit in that it all feels very fresh Mm -hmm. to me. I couldn't tell you the last time I watched 30 minutes of television and laughed out loud as much as I did during the first episode of this show first of all and I love the characters I love the actors I love the idea of the plot all of it I'm just enjoying it so much I think it is so fun.
0: Oh, I'm glad you are enjoying it. To be honest, you know, I, I did a brief recommendation of it last week. I wanted to get your feedback now. And unless you had something specific to talk about, I really don't have anything else to add other than what you said for people who are fans of Ted Lasso. I do think it pales a little bit in comparison to Ted Lasso. There's more characters, they kind of get into the way the football leagues work and things like that. So there's this other aspect to the show, but it has. Most of the things that you like as its core recipe, which is these people who have their own dysfunctions, but they kind of form their own family unit. In that case, it's the actual you know football team. In this case, it's the psychotherapists and their clients, and of course their immediate family, etc. You can tell in both shows these people are definitely improvisers, so there's definitely improvisation that's making it into the show. So that's the other thing that kind of feels so fun and i think most of my laugh lines come from that sometimes our de- things are definitely set up there's a his hilarious episode i don't know if you made it to episode 3 but there's I a did. hilarious sequence where there's this whole idea that you're allowed to like really just have a, a pure emotional reaction <laughs> for 15 minutes a day and he decides to yes. do that while he's riding his bicycle <laughs> Yes, <laughs> and he's listening to phoebe bridgers <laughs> yeah. it's just very very funny you know, it's supposed to be it's it's emotional and hilarious at the same time that it very much feels like a ted lasso type thing
1: yeah, here's what I have to add yeah. that is mm-hmm. not directly related, but is is related somewhat. Have you seen an interview with Harrison Ford lately?
0: I saw him on 60 Minutes, I think, yeah.
1: Okay, 60 Minutes might be different. I saw yeah. him on live with Kelly and Ryan, which mm-hmm. is like my morning 9 a.m. If I'm working remote, I watch this show. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a non-profane way to say it. He just does not care one bit about helping his interviewer out. I mean, this oh, yes. was like watching someone pulling teeth for 10 minutes. <laughs> just one word answers, completely indifferent. Yeah. Complete lack of interest in in helping move the story along, giving any anecdotes, nothing. Which is entertaining and funny in its own way.
0: <laughs> He's on TV for the first time. He has two shows running, two very successful shows, by the way, running concurrently a comedy and this Western and both shows are getting renewed for a second season. So he'll be busy. He also has the final Indiana Jones movie coming out this year where they de-aged him to play older and younger at the same time. So this Mm -hmm. is probably going to be a big, a big year for him, but he has not really interacted with the media across his career, this massive career and also of huge fame. He's one of the most famous people, recognizable actors in the world, but all that is to say that he is doing press now because he's obviously trying to support these shows, but he, in general, has given as few Fs as possible throughout his life when it comes That's to doing any kind of That's what I am trying to say, <laughs> yes, yes. yes.
1: And I mean, in a way, it's refreshing, but in a way, yes, it's yes. like watching a slow-motion train wreck when, <laughs> when these people just have time to kill. Yes. He's giving them nothing.
0: Exactly. It's not as bad, by the way, of seeing... Robert De Niro as a guest on any show. That is truly, you know, one of the most terrifying (laughs) experiences anyone has to have is probably to interview Robert De Niro. Uh, Do look up if anyone hasn't seen this. The very first guest that Jimmy Kimmel, I mean, sorry, that Jimmy Fallon had on his show was Robert De Niro. I do not know why he did this to himself, but you can just see Fallon flop sweating that mm-hmm. Nero is just basically giving him absolutely nothing. I cannot imagine why he did that to himself, but somehow he survived it and has had a successful show since then. But that is even more excruciating than watching a Harrison Ford interview.
1: <laughs> so yeah, that's what I had to add. Um, <laughs> I'm drinking. I, I am really enjoying it and I'm enjoying watching the rest of the season. I think a lot of shows... I can watch a couple of episodes and even say, oh, I like that. But I don't necessarily feel compelled to finish it. This is something I'm definitely going to finish.
0: And uh, we will be having a conversation, I'll be having a conversation with Sarah, my friend who's a psychotherapist, just to get her feedback. I'm very curious to get her feedback on, almost certainly this is the most improper way to be a psychotherapist. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I would like to get that, you know, prof- the profession- her professional opinion on it. Yes. And uh, we'll have an episode at some time in the future, or near future, where we discuss all of that. And quickly also, before we get into this current conversation, I think I'm fully caught up on Poker face, which continues to be very, very entertaining. So I just wanted Oh, good to you know. Yeah. This week's episode is very clever, I thought. Well, I mean, they're all clever, but this one especially. And those are both shows that'll be running through March while we're covering these uh, shows in tandem as well. All right. So let's get into this episode of Your Honor. What did you think here? The first thing I thought about, Sona, directly about to you, was when Sophia comes to visit Michael at the butcher shop. And he basically says he can't see her anymore. Yes. But the baby with this like uh, frozen, like kind of surprise look uh. on his face. And I'm like, this baby <laughs> has been getting acting lessons from his grandfather.
1: <laughs> I thought about you in this episode, actually, because you put your finger on in the first episode, this idea, the family history, all of these dealings, this organization coming from... The Conti family side and that Jimmy Baxter has married into it. And it was Mm -hmm. a throwaway comment that I really think didn't mean much. But it turns out I think this is going to be kind of a theme for the whole season of this division of the old school way of doing things that Jimmy entered into and whether he is doing enough to keep up the family traditions, the family way, the family honor. Um, So I think it's really interesting that you spotted that right away and how it's continuing to be developed.
0: Another thing I spotted, I've mentioned this multiple times, and I threw this theory out the window, but I want to get your feedback now, is the cliffhanger at the end of this episode- Oh my goodness, I love it. Is that potentially Michael did kill his wife, right? Which was something that I had speculated on when I, you know, I think in the very first episode of the show, just because he was doing such a, he's t- teaching Adam how to create an alibi post mortem, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, it, and I was like, that's pretty suspicious. He's a judge, so he has seen a lot of cases, so maybe he learned from that. But it still seemed kind of sketchy. And now, it seems like that might actually be the case. So, I the first thing I had to question have for you is, do you think that is the case? Because we're only in the middle of the season, it seemed like maybe too early to reveal that if it's legitimate. But then. Who is this random guy who is implicating him if if that's not the case?
1: I do think that at least they want to plant that seed or that he has some involvement in it. I also think, this isn't directly what you're asking, I think it would be giving the writers too much credit to say that they planned this all along. I think this is something that when there is going to be a season two and they constructed the plot, they thought, hey, that was a storyline that we started and never tied We can use that. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) We can return to that now, but it is an interesting storyline, right? And something that we all Mm -hmm. wondered about. I think many of us, myself included, expected that plot to be a bigger deal of what happened to the mom Mm -hmm. and why did she die? How did she die? All of that. Um, Aside from we did get some details, but not enough for it to be satisfying. I like the return to that. I just don't think that all along this is where this was heading. I think that's, that's not the case, but but I'll take it.
0: If anything, and I don't know, have any understanding of how this parallels the original Israeli show and if that was part of the plot. Mm, I've not done mm -hmm. any of that research at all, to be honest. I think that had two seasons also. Maybe there was the potential that he truly did kill his wife in season one. And now I'm curious to know if they're going to actually say that this is part of some kind of frame up that he's involved in. And then there's a bigger conspiracy that he's not even aware of. Because I can't, like, once again, I can't imagine them introducing this now, and then he's going to tread water for five episodes, and then at the end find out that, yes, indeed it was. If anything, I think it would be kind of a cool twist at the end that he somehow survives the situation in this season. And then at the end, it's like, by the way, we always had had you dead to rights on her murder from the very beginning. That would be kind of Mm -hmm. a shocking conversation uh, point. So for them to introduce it this early, it almost feels like it has to be a red herring. That's just my... You just I'm just thinking about how they're plotting out the show, not based on anything other than that.
1: The fact that they're introducing it now, I think, means that it is going to be something that unravels over the rest of the season. Maybe he is involved, maybe he isn't, maybe he somehow inadvertently involved himself by setting things into motion. I don't think he killed his wife, because they had that scene with Adam last season, where he's explaining right that he knew about right. the affair and right. or he knew about a different affair. I'm not sure, but he forgave her.
0: That's if you believe all that though.
1: That's true. It seemed very heartfelt in the moment.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. Almost everything else I have to talk about that in my notes are about Gina. <laughs> I love her making the cannolis, furiously making those cannolis.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh, yes.
0: <laughs> Do you think she killed the guy who sold the club actually to uh, Monique?
1: well we didn't see him <laughs> right.
0: I wonder if we find out what his fate was
1: was there any reference to him I don't remember one
0: there wasn't but uh I'm curious that actually in the coming up this season uh you know they almost had like a, a new trailer for the second half of the season uh in the coming up scenes we do see that Monique and uh, Gina interact and I do wonder if she like reveals that by the way I killed that guy I would be surprised with her she has a very she's very very hot tempered.
1: Very hot tempered. And I mean, like you said, the angry cannoli making alone, that whole plate went with (laughs) the cannoli into the trash when Sophia didn't show up.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) She's very angry when traditions are disrupted. Very angry.
1: I mean, the cannoli looked delicious. I'll give her that.
0: (laughs) Yes. And uh, speaking of her temperament, I also found it very funny that she's practically sitting in her dad's lap. Another creepy interaction here, you know, saying that I wish he was more like you, Papa, you know, Mm -hmm. practically plotting. Um, her husband's murder the voice of reason here is carmine who's saying like well you know marriages are complicated and you have to try to work it yes. out. yes and then of course that full reversal by the end where you know he takes her side at that brunch or lunch that at the hotel and now she's a little frisky for her uh, husband again
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. i thought jimmy was signing his own death warrant when he said he was too full for cannoli
0: she looked like she was a. I looked this Speaking of face acting, when he bites into the cannoli, like what an expression he has on his face! It's as if it tastes bad, but I think it does, tasted good. I think it's just his. He doesn't like to be forced to eat a cannoli if he doesn't want to.
1: I had too much cake. What a weak excuse! Too much cake.
0: Very, very. Poor. You know how important He's, this must be to her. She's
1: not seven years old. I had too much cake. <laughs>
0: He also looks hungover the next morning when he comes downstairs. He just has this look on his face like he's just not. Sugar I mean, hangover,
1: he, the cake, the maybe. cannoli.
0: <laughs> yeah, the cake and the cannoli. That's why he didn't want to have the cannoli. He knew he knew how he was going to wake up the next day. And he woke up late. Carmine's criticizing him. <laughs> yes. But you
1: haven't said anything about the whole other. Well, we talked about the club owner for a moment. But the whole yes. other big mm-hmm. Mo, Monique, little Mo. Yeah, situation. What did you think about all that?
0: This is interesting. Once again, it's like the highest stakes in the show. You have Monique may feel the screws tightening on her. You know, Gina's obviously going to be gunning for her. But beyond that, she seems to put like every penny she had into making this club deal go through. She has like no cash flow. She has to get fronted the heroin, and there's a vig on top of it, a pretty big one. So if she can't start turning that over like instantly, uh, or if she's under some additional scrutiny and she can't make those payments. She's getting pressure from every side. And meanwhile, you know, she's letting Eugene go back home and she's telling Eugene just like, just never come back. There's no way Eugene is not back in this show again. Like, you know, I'm just pretty certain they've introduced him here specifically to bring him back. Also, you know, Lil Mo's going to be on the streets. Is he going to have a vendetta against her? What's going to happen with, with him? She just has so many people gunning for her potentially. I think Little Mo would turn on her. I think he should be grateful to be alive. Exactly. He should just be like, hey, she let me live. <laughs> right. Yeah.
1: I mean, that was looking bleak for a few minutes there. I, I mean yeah. on purpose. I think it was a little bit of a misdirection, but still. Um, I was worried. I, I I it turns out I've grown fond of Little Mo. <laughs> <laughs> yes i realized yeah, I in mean, that moment that i thought they were going to kill him off
0: <laughs> that's what's always worrying right when you when they humanized him when he was talking about how he owed something to kofi yeah and you know and and uh, wanted to like kind of pay him back by protecting eugene as soon as you have some sympathy for the characters like oh he's not long for this world <laughs> yeah
1: mm-hmm. yeah and i think also um Baseball Uncle. I, I don't know the character's yes. name. I know I said I'm trying to be better about that. but uh, I don't know his name either. <laughs> he's really coming across as, as quite villainous, like very scary, I think, for a guy who we originally saw with his nephew playing baseball.
0: Honestly, he seemed like my first read of him was that he was talking a big game. He He obviously had the product but he was just trying to bully them into buying more of it. You know, now he's trying, making it sound like, hey, he's like, you know, hey, you can deal with me or you could deal with uh, people yeah. from, uh, you know, from like uh, Mexico. like evil, yeah. And they're like, yeah, hey, you know, they're mm-hmm. going to kill you. <laughs> they're not going to have, mm-hmm. I'm, the, I'm the reasonable one, you know. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of, by the way, parallels here. That's kind of what Jimmy is doing too, right? He goes to visit Michael and then Charlie and says, hey, look, I'm the reasonable one you're be- dealing with. Like, you know, you, you mm-hmm. can say no to me, But things could get really ugly, really fast. So maybe there's another paralleling that's going on there as well.
1: And what did you think about the scene where Michael spills everything to Charlie?
0: Oh, my God. I love this scene. And I called it out in the breakdown that I love uh, Isaiah Whitlock, Jr., in general, as an actor. But I love him on the show because everybody's in this very stoic, you know, moribund tenor. When Michael's telling him, you know, I told him everything. I was, you know, it really, I was at the end of my rope, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, What? He's just having like a pure reaction. He's like, what are you telling me right now? Like, I I was trying to help you and you screwed me. Like, what? Is-? And he just kicks him out of his office. But I mean, I love his uh, the purest reaction, like th- how you would actually react. You're like, what?
1: Yes. What on earth? This and whole why did you, warn, he- me? Why did yes,
0: you warn me? Yes. And he's been
1: making these comments. The secret is just between the two of us. How would yes, anyone exactly. else ever find out? You know, and Michael's just been sitting there listening the whole time. <laughs>
0: But interestingly, what happens there, once again, off screen, but we get a hint of it at the end. After that conversation, Gloria, or I guess he maybe reaches out to Gloria, and now she's recruited Charlie into this plot, right? the Renegotiating mm-hmm. this deal with the Baxters is part of her mm-hmm. plan now. So that's an interesting twist there as well. Was there anything else? I think that's all I had notes on. Yeah, there
1: was the girlfriend's shock, Big Mo's oh, yes. girlfriend's mm-hmm. shock that big mom actually does stuff that is kind of unpleasant yeah.
0: um, <laughs> and she's like you know who i am <laughs> yeah <laughs> but she does make a good point she's like you know i thought that was like your family right so if you're not, if even your family's not protected then it does make you kind of question how much loyalty they'll have to you as well in the future right
1: yes i mean that is a smart thing to wonder about
0: and it weighs on monique as well as far as her decision making i think the only other note i had here i forgot to call out is olivia just drops in at the mother-in-law's house Way too often, like, <laughs> I mean, Frankie yes. Frankie and the and um the Baxter seem to know everything that's going on inside of Michael's house. And uh, she just comes knocking on a door every day. This is a very suspicious behavior. She better have a team of of agents sweeping that street to make sure nobody's keeping an eye on her when she drops in because she's there all the time. They have breakfast together every day. Yeah, everyone's just
1: milling around and waiting for the call to come so they can come ring the doorbell. And yeah. (laughs) just roll
0: in. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. This (laughs) cop is like literally outside his door the whole day. Like what? I mean, it
1: was a a matter of seconds. (laughs) That wish from the text and the doorbell ringing.
0: I love the fact that Olivia is so prescient at this point that she knows to have Nancy outside the door. She's like, tomorrow is the day he's going to say, I'm out for good.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It was a matter of seconds. I mean, that was amazing. And then also something that I thought was interesting and kind of not funny, but maybe fun was like this recurring thing of how could you say that this guy would be the godfather and who should be the godfather (laughs) and the child's got to be baptized and all of that was like kind of a fun subplot, I felt.
0: I like how Sophia and Carlo bond over fantasizing about killing their fa- their parents. Oh
1: my gosh, yes, and the popsicle, the sharpened popsicle. <laughs>
0: yes. And it was actually a very sweet scene between them even though they're plotting the murder yes. of their parents. <laughs> yeah, that's all I have. I feel like this is like a pivot in the middle of the episode of the season. They've kind of set everything up on the board and now we're yes. going to kind of start seeing more of these cliffhangers and I agree. Um, and I actually look forward to it.
1: Yeah. I think this is a nice balance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree. Of like setting up all the players in order for all the attention to really take off.
0: Yeah. And I think that that's what we're going to see. It's probably going to be a race to the finish. We'll wait to see how it all plays out. But I feel like there's going to be a lot of dominoes falling week to week. They've been playing it slowly up until now, but I think this mm-hmm. is going to be uh, an interesting pivot for the show. And we know we can. they can do that because that's what they did last season so well. Oh, the last thing I want to mention to you mm-hmm. is speaking of thrillers and the ongoing series, I do not think this is the final season of this show, but it's a much more popular show than even your honor, is uh, the show You, which yes. you are a big fan of.
1: <laughs> I am a huge fan of You. And this is actually, um, I tried to talk my husband into watching an episode of it last night. I was unsuccessful. We watched a Frasier mm-hmm. rerun instead. So, there you go. <laughs> but, but... He will be away visiting friends this ah, weekend. Yes. And so on my agenda is marathoning through. I am just going to binge watch that entire season.
0: Well, the the good news for you to binge watch the show, by the way, this is a new thing that Netflix is trying to do to split the difference between just dropping all episodes at once and being more week to week. They are dropping half the season. This is only half the season. Oh, no. And then the, uh, yes. <laughs> My weekend and then, plans. <laughs> and then the other half comes uh, in, I think, only a, I think, in April. So maybe, or I'm sorry, in March. So just a month or a month and a half from now. I think there's only five or six episodes available. So anyway, on the negative side, you can't binge the whole thing in one shot. On the positive side, it's a lot less to watch. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah, <laughs> I think they did the same thing with Ozark, right? It was half and then half.
1: You know, Penn Badgley, from what I understand, has really developed a TikTok presence in these intervening months. <laughs> have you
0: noticed?
1: I, Are I, you I, aware?
0: I, I, I'm not a TikToker, a but uh, um, I am not no, a TikToker
1: myself, but I have been known to watch a TikTok or two. And I guess something in the algorithm shows me Penn Badgley doing TikTok dances. <laughs> and oh, wow. it is just as charming as you would imagine it would be. <laughs>
0: so next week maybe if you binge the first half of the season you can give everybody I your will. opinion. and you can spoil me on it because like I mentioned in our text messages I'm not catching up on this show I've tried a few times <laughs> <laughs> so, feel, free, <laughs> feel free to spoil it all for me uh, next week and I'm sure all the fans out there who are listening to this now will have all binged the show by next week anyway especially half a season so it's pretty quick binge I'll be watching the Super Bowl um, do you have Super Bowl plans by the way?
1: Well, my husband usually goes away for the Super Bowl, but he actually will be back. So, I guess we'll all watch together, it, right? although he did say something about there's no way I'm watching the Philadelphia Eagles win a Super Bowl. So, <laughs> maybe I guess that long-standing rivalry, right?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Maybe we'll be watching the ads and the Rihanna concert. <laughs> Possibly. Yes.
0: We could do a review yeah. of the ads and the commercials for Shows and movies next week.
1: We have discussed before, not separately, personally, that I have very strong feelings about football as a sport. Yes, so. yes.
0: <laughs> we should have that conversation at some point, probably. <laughs> so we will touch base next week. We'll discuss some of these things, <laughs> possibly the Rihanna yes. concert, possibly yes. the you your binge of the U, of this half season. Of yes, U. possibly more of shrinking.
1: Yes, i I'm, I'm definitely going to catch up on that.
0: If you have extra time, I would say, because you is not enough of a binge for you, catch up on Poker Face. It's a lot of fun, actually. That's a good plan, actually. Okay, cool. We will talk about some of those things next week. (laughs) Sounds
1: good. I look forward to it.
0: (laughs) All right. Bye-bye.
1: Take care.